0: You know we've been dealing with this coronavirus thing for about two and a half months and my heart is it's, it's really time for the world to open back up we just can't stay the way we've been uh, you know for very much longer you know it's not healthy it's not good economically it's not good for children it's not good health wise in all kinds of ways and, and you know, we're, there's so many factors we're dealing with today uh, and let me just say it is a day I, I'm serious when I say what I'm about to say it is a day Of um, large misinformation. There is lots of information. But I got a question for me and you. Is the information that you're listening to accurate and true? Now all of us have to deal with that. Do we not? So if you hook, line, and sinker. Believe everything you read. You're going to get in trouble. How many know that's true? Everything you hear. And everything you read is not true. And what I have... Uh, what I what what it indicates to me is there is a bias on everything you hear, yes or no. The only exception is this book right here, the Word of God. This is a balancer balancer for life. The Word of God is a stabilizer. In fact, Isaiah thirty three six says, "Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and strength of salvation." So you know, ever since I was a young man in my late teens and came to Jesus, got filled with the Holy Spirit. I've just absorbed this book called the Bible. And you know, when I was a young man, um, I, I just, I didn't, you know, it, I came to the Lord in 1976, 1977. How, how many, if you're old, old enough, you remember the Jim Jones situation. You remember that? And uh, oh my goodness, a terrible, terrible thing. Uh, over 900 people drink, drank some poison-laden Kool-Aid in Ghana, and perished at this guy's suggestion, because he told him it was good for him. And uh, authorities came days later and found hundreds of people dead, men, women, children, teenagers. Uh, boy, you know, I was, a, I was a teenager then, and it was, it was a, a, such a shock to the entire world, and it put something in me. I, I mean, maybe one of the things that has motivated me to be a student of the Bible, of the Word is, I don't want to be deceived. And then when I came to the Lord, and I, you see, all these denominations, I had lots of different schools I could have gone to, colleges I could have gone to, Bible schools I could have gone to. There's lots of different denominations. And when I came to the Lord, I said, God, what is truth? How will I know the truth? And I had the impression. That if I would get to know the Bible very well, then regardless of who I'm listening to or what vein that, that, tru- that information comes from, if I know the Bible well, I will not be deceived. So I, I, you know, I was in college. I quit my college. I was going to be electronics engineer. I quit college and then enrolled in a Bible, my first Bible school, and even uh, taking Bible school courses and reading books and being introduced to you know all these people in the theological world. I mean, I, I was just so concerned that I, I didn't want somebody to lead me astray with false doctrine. So for me, I just got familiar with the Bible. And y'all, that's the greatest thing personally for me that I've ever done in my life. The Bible will save your life. Jesus Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. How many know there's freeing power in the word? So, you know, there's a lot of information out today. A lot of information about how we're supposed to be dealing dealing with the COVID-19 situation worldwide. The lockdown and, you know, opening states back up, opening counties back up, opening cities back up, opening businesses back up opening churches back up, and and boy, you hear conflicting reports everywhere. Do y'all read and hear what I do? And so for me, I've always done this. In my personal life, listen to this, I read Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, Proverbs every day. Why? I want to be balanced. I just don't read only the Old Testament. I read some of all of it every day. Uh, In books, I read, I've got four or five books going right now, and I've done that all of my life, I take notes when I read, and, and I have a way of categorizing them. One of those reasons is because I'm a pastor, but I started doing this before I ever became a pastor. And So I just read from a, a lots of different material, lots of different sources, lots of different people, because I don't want to pigeonhole myself into, into one ideological perspective. I want to see what's out there. And then because I know the Word, then God shows me truth and the holy spirit rises up in you. I don't know how many times. I didn't mean to say all this, but I don't know how many times I've been reading something. Sometimes I'm reading a good spiritual book and I'm just reading and while I'm reading something rises up in me and I knew I know what I'm reading is skewed to some degree. And there's an element of truth, but not complete truth in that. And I need to be careful. So I watch it. I look at it. When I first came to the Lord, they were just a few books I would even read until I went to Bible school because I didn't want to be deceived. And I wanted to make sure the authors were really speaking truth and not some slant of truth. How many understand what I'm saying? So for me, I found that there's, there's balance you know, when I read from a variety of sources, but my main reading comes from the Bible, which brings me to the first thing that I wanted to mention tonight is uh, it, this is the day to put God's Word first place. And my sense as a pastor is we're becoming so full of information from all this stuff that I just mentioned that the Word has taken a second, a, a back seat. And y'all, we don't need to do that. Never in my end, let me just, can I be real? I can only be real. In my whole life, and I've been walking with God, you know, this year is going to be, um, how many years is it? i got to think. 44 uh, years. I've been walking with God all these years. I have never had an era of life where every day people are talking about sickness, disease, death, dying, on a mass scale, constantly from the news media. We're pummeled with that. All the time, constantly. And y'all, if that's all you hear, let me tell you what we will be full of. Uh, Fear, doubt, unbelief, uh, the unknown, uh, lack of hope, lack of confidence. So there's got to be a way to counteract all of these things that we're hearing. And so I just started off saying, read from a variety of... Of sources, but not before you ingest the word first. How many know we need to put God's word first? That's absolutely essential if you're going to keep from being deceived in our day. And if you do that, then the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. He rises up on the inside of us. We're reading something, and you just inwardly know oh, there's, there's something going on here. There's a bias here that doesn't need to be. It's a it's a it's a maybe an unintentional or intentional bias. So there's something there that's covering something up. And, uh, you know, if, if you if you live that way, you know, we can come through this and we can come through it. Well, my encouragement again to all of us, let's don't become sickness and disease minded because of the day that we're living in. I mean, it's etched in my heart that when Jesus took my sins, he also took my sicknesses in his own body on the cross. That's what the Bible says. And y'all, I don't know about you, but I'm choosing to believe the Bible over all the things that I hear. How many hear me? And now I've got people that criticize if I say, well, what about so-and-so? Well, you know what? Thus says the Lord first. First. I use practical common sense. I use wisdom. You know, I don't do things with, I try not to do things with my body I shouldn't do. I try not to put things in my body that shouldn't be there. I try to exercise and live in a healthy way. uh, But at the same time, I watch what goes into my mind. If you feed on doubt and fear, you're going to have a doubt and fear-based life. And that's where our culture is right now. That's why our light can shine so brightly. Because we have faith in God. We have faith in the Lord Jesus. We have hope that things can be better. We've got hope that you know, regardless of how bad things become financially, that God will make a way for us and that God will, you know, work things out for all of us. At the same time, for God so loved the world, He wants people to come to Jesus, y'all. So I I have to believe that God's using the current circumstances to draw people that don't know the Lord, that are in darkness and don't even know they're in darkness. He's using these circumstances to draw them because they are desperately afraid. I see it on people's faces in public, y'all. And, uh, you know, so it makes me thankful for Jesus, thankful for the word. But it makes me want to impart what I what I've found out to others. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. And how many know God wants us to free others? Anyway, that was all free. Uh, Let me uh, so I've said most of everything on this first page. Um, So anyway, having said that, this one encouragement and I'll go to the questions for all of us is that. You know, regard, there, there are some people aren't comfortable coming to church yet. Now, those obviously got people here in the service tonight, a pretty good crowd. Um, the ones that feel comfortable should not look down on the people that aren't comfortable yet. Yes or no? Romans 14, the problem in the first century was um, they had meat that was sacrificed to, to heathen idols throughout the Roman Empire. And then believers... Uh, would some some believers would take the meat from the market the people selling the meat sacrifice it to an idol thinking you know they'd make better sales and all that whatever and uh, so some believers who had weak conscience they wouldn't eat a meat the meat that was sacrificed to idols because that was sacrificed to idols and and it was like sacrilege to do so they had just come to the Lord but other believers who were much more seasoned maybe had known the Lord for much longer, they felt absolutely no conscience in taking meat regardless of where it came from, regardless of what idol it was sacrificed to, cooking it and eating it, grilling it on the grill, and then let's eat, you know, let's have some steak tonight, let's have some chicken, let's have some barbecue. So, uh, but others did. And what Paul said in Romans 14 is, don't look down your nose on people that aren't where you are. And that's where we need to be. So, you know, those of you watching online, I love you, I appreciate you. And I want you to be here with us, but only when you're ready and when you're comfortable. And then those of us that feel free, I'm okay. And here's the other thing we need to consider. You know, this COVID-19, all of this research I've done, the people that it mostly affects are those with underlying conditions, the elderly. And so everybody's different. Not everybody's the same. So don't put your circumstance on someone else and judge them. Why aren't they believing what I believe? Why are they doing what they do? Well, they're living by the dictates of what they think is right. You're living by the dictates of what you think is right. We all ought to be living by this book. You know what I'm saying? So for me as a pastor, you know, I've just operated this way all my life. we got so many people in our church. And I know that all of us are on different spiritual levels. And I don't expect everybody to read the Bible the way I do, pray the way that I do, walk with the I want you to. I'm gonna set the example, but you know what I've learned? I love people where they are, and I don't put an expectation on anybody to do everything just the way I do it. And see, if, if you put expectations on others, they're uncomfortable with you. Is that true? A lot of the reason people have problems in their marriages is because they're putting expectations on their spouse. That They can't even live themselves, and they have on themselves, right? And that's the way it is lots of times in families and friends and, you know, business life and church life. And we just need to love each, each other where we are. And the, the first thing people should, should bring away from talking with you, communicating with you, being with you, is that that person like loves me and if they don't bring that away from the relationship if they don't feel that way about me some way i failed and and you know i feel like i fail in love a lot and and when i walk away from conversation with someone i mean i introspect myself have i loved them have i demanded something of them that they're not ready to give have i loved them where they are have i treated them like jesus would you know we have the golden rule that seems to be really really fading away from our culture you see it in so many aspects do to others what you would have them do to you. Jesus said that. We call that the golden rule. Treat others the way you want to be treated. So if you want to be respected, respect others. If you want someone to be kind to you, be kind to them. If you want someone to listen to you, listen to them, right? And, you know, so, so particularly in this, as the world is waking back up, as church life is waking back up, as businesses are opening up, you know, restaurants are opening up. And we're all doing it on our own kind of time. And, and just love people where they are. Uh, there, there was one pastor, this sort of bothered me, uh, that came out this past week and, and said, well, if you're, um, and he was known, nationally known, he said, well, if you're opening your church, well, then you're, you're making a political statement. Y'all really so this pastor said that and uh a, a lot of leaders that i know were incensed by what he said but he said it and see that kind of you know that put a little blot on on churches now that open up or whatever i know that's not true about me i open up because i love people we need to be together the scriptures encourage us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's unhealthy to do life by yourself. We need each other. I knew we would reach a point in this whole debacle that we needed to get back together just just for mentality, just for our humanness, just for mentality's sake. We need each other. and And then there's the presence of God when we're together that comes in a way he doesn't when we're just alone. So there's so many things about that. So... Again, my encouragement in all I just said was, let's love each other where we are. What do you think? I hadn't even gotten to the first question yet, y'all. So. Obviously, I'm full of something. But uh, anyway, hopefully it's good. So here's something I got from Tony Cook, who is a guest speaker, is a good friend of mine. He was on staff with Kenneth Hagin for many, many years. Um, and uh, he's traveling minister, as an author. Uh, um He said in some parts of the country, pastors are being criticized no matter what they do, whether they have reopened their services to the public or haven't. And then one of his friends uh, put a statement on Twitter that said this, if you open your church, uh, some people say you don't love your neighbor. If you don't open your church, some say you're a compromised coward. Uh, So, you know, false dichotomies are dividing the body of Christ. Local situations are different and responsible pastors will will follow appropriate guidelines. Have some grace, folks. I just like that because it just foments where we are. There's an opinion about everything today. And hardly anybody can agree. You hear what I'm saying? And y'all, we're called to love everybody. Not to get everybody to agree with us and not, get, and not necessarily to get everybody to see the way we see things. Right? So, so you know, a, a, a good a good gauge of where we are spiritually. Can you love someone who doesn't do life like you? And doesn't agree with you? Does it opposite of what you do? Can you still be nice? Can you still be kind? We're losing some of that in America. And and God's looking for the body of Christ to be the salt and light and bring this back. How many hear what I'm saying? Y'all awake? Everybody's quiet. Everybody's quiet tonight. Uh, This was really interesting. I'm going to stop after and go into some questions. Uh, But this came... uh, From one thing I read today, Dr. Fossey, everybody knows who he is, you know, uh, government, talking about health and all that. He said this last Friday, talking about waking back up, opening businesses, churches, public things. He said uh, we can't stay locked down for such a considerable period of time uh, that you might do irreparable damage and have unintended consequences, including consequences uh, for health. So he said it's unhealthy to stay locked down for a prolonged period of time. We're reaching into that right now. So uh, there were, and then this article went on to say uh, that there was a letter sent to the White House uh, recently this last week or so from 600 doctors, listen to this, calling for um, coming to an end of the national shutdown over growing concerns of mass casualty incidents. And the letter warns millions of casualties of continued. Shutdown will be hiding in plain sight. They'll be called alcoholism, homelessness, suicide, heart attack, stroke, kidney failure. In youth, it will be called financial instability, unemployment, despair, drug addiction, unplanned pregnancy, poverty, and abuse. So, you know, we got COVID-19 here. We got uh, exacerbated problems over here. For, for the world being shut down. So y'all, we're at a real pivotal time in our nation. Pray for our leaders, whether you like them or voted for them or not. That is not the issue. How many hear me? We need to pray for the leaders. We need to pray for our president, those in cabinet offices. I say it all the time. We need to pray for our governors, our senators, our congressmen and women. We need to pray for our mayors and those in civil authority in our counties because they're making decisions. Our sheriffs, who uh, are oversee the police force that really carry out the laws of our land? Everything's on edge today, and y'all. God needs to. God wants to do something great, and it's through the body of Christ can He can do that. How many believe that? So anyway, that's enough of that. Here's some questions uh, that have come in here, uh, and I'm gonna go through these. You know, I can talk a long period of time on most anything. So this way, I'm wired. This first one, oh boy, this this happened back in February. What are your thoughts concerning the killing of Ahmad Aubrey? That's the guy in Brunswick, Georgia, who was jogging down the street. Two guys come up in a white pickup truck and shoot him cold dead. I mean, shoot him in cold blood. Well, they've been arrested and uh, charged with felony murder. And again, as I mentioned with what's happened with George Floyd, was that yesterday? Was that this this week? What day? I forgot what day it was. Yesterday? when was it? Yesterday? The day before? Nonetheless, uh, you know, you, you always have people who act out of character for the positions that they're in. And with this uh, uh, Ahmad Aubrey, this is a terrible, terribly sad situation, and uh, that was unjust what happened to him. And these people need to be held accountable for what they did. That's the reason that we have laws, and that's why we have civil courts. And, and you just all of us need to be aware that you know, all of us we, we're a fallen race, y'all. And we need such help. And and it's not politics. It's not education. It's the gospel that changes people. And and Jeremiah said it perhaps best of all the prophets. Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jesus said, except a man be born again, or literally born again, From above, in John chapter 3, you can't go to heaven. The Bible reveals that out of the heart of man proceeds evil thoughts, murders, thefts, adulteries, and all of the ills known to man. They come from the wickedness on the inside of us. And all of these things that we hear that happen multiplied times over every week, they come from the wicked heart of man. And you know, our nation along with every other nation on earth, we're filled with people who don't know Jesus. Jesus is the cure for the sinful heart. Jesus is the cure for racism. Jesus is the cure... For the police officer who takes matters into his own hands and crosses the line. Jesus is the cure for an unjust judge. Jesus is a cure for a politician who's lying through his teeth. And he knows he is to get his own way. Jesus Christ is the cure. The gospel is the grace of God. It's the power of God into salvation. And people are looking for that today. How many believe it? So my heart goes out to the family of Ahmed Aubrey. That's my thoughts about that. And that as the gospel is the only cure for these kinds of things, they will continue to happen until the gospel reaches the hearts of, of, uh, of, of people that are darkened by sin. And that's all of us. Uh, next question, should the church be addressing racism? If so, how do you think the church at large should address it? Well, you know, uh, I personally think that we address racism every single time we meet. Uh, for here, I know that's true here at Victory We've got 20-something nations. I, y'all need to come up with a new number. Last I heard was 23. So I don't know. I know it's at least 23 nations here. But, you know, we, we need to get along with each other. And, y'all, I'm not kidding. I'm not joking when I say this. I do not see color when I see a person. I, I don't see it. I, I don't care if you're black, white, green, red, chartreuse. I just see you. A- and I love you where you are. I don't care what color, color your hair is. And there's some strange hair. I don't care if you don't have any like me. I just love you. I'm called to love you where you are. And accept you where you are. You know, not agree with everything you do. And now love means agreement. Love doesn't mean agreement. Jesus loves us. Does he agree with us? Not all the time. Because because we do some things we shouldn't do. But does he love us? Absolutely. So love doesn't mean agreement. Love means you care about the value and worth of every human being. And every time a church meets, it it should exemplify the way that God feels about the whole world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And we all should think that way. Every person that I meet, every person that you meet is a person that without Christ will spend eternity in hell. And we don't want that to happen. And people don't understand that today. God is holy. And only pure and holy things can go where He is. That's the reason Jesus came, shed His blood, gave His life, paid the price, the judicial penalty for our sin so God could judicially forgive our sins so that we could freely go to heaven. Not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus did. That's the gospel Y'all, of the grace of God. Isn't it awesome? So, so that's the basis to get rid of racism. Racism, prejudice. Prejudism is, is saying, I think I'm better than you. If you think that way, you're a person full of pride, full of self-centeredness, and full of sin. And Jesus came to take that out of us. How many hear me? So all my life, I've just always valued different races, different cultures. And I can get pretty mad. Um... I feel passionately about what I feel about anything. And I can get pretty angry when somebody treats another person of another race with contempt because they are of another race. I've gotten in people's faces more than ten times. (laughs) I don't like it. Uh, I've had people try to lead me down that path. I had a lady one time that was uh, helping us buy a home. And I told her I wanted to look in a certain community for a house. And she said, well, you, I said, what what, what, what? what are you about to say? And she almost made a prejudicial statement. And I told her, ma'am, I don't think you know who I am. I'm a Christian. And I don't think that way. And that may, should never come out of your mouth. And she never said another word. And I bought the house where I wanted to. Because that's where... I wanted to live. How many hear me? So I know this stuff's in our culture. And y'all, you are the cure. How many hear me? Uh, uh, in this life, how vital is fasting. There are no New Testament directives on how frequently to fast, how long to fast, etc., etc. It just says, Jesus said, when you fast. Fasting's a very personal thing. You know, as soon as uh, everybody's f- comfortable, we get back together generally as a whole... I want to call another fast for our church. I think it's good for us to fast together. I think our nation needs it. We're a nation in peril and trouble. The whole world's in trouble right now. Um, and I think fasting's a, fasting doesn't move the hand of God. Fasting puts us in a position to spend more time with the Lord and puts our flesh under so we can more clearly hear the voice of God where we are. On the inside of us. So, again, fasting doesn't change God, it changes us. I think it's a good personal dis- discipline. But don't think it makes you right with God. If you do it in such a way, oh, God, aren't you proud of me? You're full of pride, and the very thing that should help you will diminish spiritual life. How many hear what I said? A lot of people think, well, I, God, you've got to answer my prayer because I, fat, I, I used to fast two days a week. When I first came to the Lord. You've heard some of you have heard me tell this story. And I thought I was really something. I was some real spiritual person. And I just knew God was so proud of me. Because I fasted two days a week. I was in Bible school. And God chastised me one day. I heard him so clearly. You stop that now. Just like my daddy would get on me. God got on me. Stop that now. Because I was I was I was I was right with God, not because of Jesus. It was because of Jesus and because I fasted. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done but by his own mercy he saved us so I was, I'm just really glad as a young man that happened to me do I fast yes when I need to I do but I don't do it to get right with God be right with God and so you know fasting you got to be careful with these kinds of things because they can go to your head and, and then you feel like things are owed to you by the Lord he owes me nothing I owe him nothing everything how many hear me and we need never forget that so here's another one is uh if the devil has no creative power why do so many people accredit sickness and disease to him well because the bible does uh job chapter two job uh the sons of god in fact job chapter one paints a nice life picture of job he had lots of kids, lots of cattle, lots of land, lots of crops, beautiful family. Uh, uh, what The wealthiest man, perhaps, in his day in the Middle East. Job is actually the oldest book in the Bible, Bible, Bible scholars say. And uh, he had everything, Job chapter 2. Here's the devil comes up before God in heaven. Somehow he got up there and he got before God and he said, Have you noticed your servant, Job, that he's a very upright man and that he's every, he has everything he ever wanted? But, you know, if you took everything from him, he'd curse you to your face. And, uh, and God said, well, devil, he's already in your hands. Now, listen to this. There's a big story here. Job 3.25. Job said, that which I was afraid of has happened to me. Y'all, we're living in an age of fear right now. Don't let fear of anything rule your life. Job was afraid that he would lose his family, his land, his cattle, his health. And you know what? His fears came to pass. His fear literally brought that into his life. And God said to Satan, he's already in your hands. Why did God say that in Job too? Because because Job had opened his life up to the devil through fear. And then uh, Satan had an open door. But the Bible says that Satan went from God's presence and smote Job. King James Bible says, with sore boils, illness from head to toe. Who did that? Did God do that? No, the devil did it. Then Jesus, here's a woman that um, had some kind of really, really strange problem where she was bowed over, could have been chronic arthritis, and she was just bowed over and couldn't straighten her back up. And she had been that way for 18 years. And Jesus said to the religious people, "And, and ought not... This woman being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound these 18 years, be loosed from her bonds on the, on the Sabbath day. And the religious people were upset because he was going to heal people on the day of rest. And he said, whom Satan hath bound. And then Acts ten thirty eight, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good and healing all who were, Oppressed of the devil. What is sickness? Oppression of the devil. There are spirits of infirmity. Go through the Gospels. Jesus would cast out a a spirit of infirmity, a spirit of deafness or whatever. And and it would come out and the person would be well. There's nothing in the Bible that indicates that sickness comes from God. Uh, Sometimes God, because of our lifestyle, because of the choices that we make, he just backs up and takes his hands off of us. If we choose to live in disobedience and choose to do regularly without repentance what we know is wrong, we're on Satan's turf and he can come in and attack us just like he attacked Job's. That's why it's important for us as believers to walk with God. And let me just say this on the heels of that. Two times Satan attacks with sickness and disease. When you're walking with God and when you're not walking with God. Be, being attacked by sickness is no indication that you're not walking with God. Uh, but however, however, you know, you need to check your heart. Every time I get attacked, listen, when I got food poisoning, I said, Oh, God, if there's something, cleanse me now. I need some healing. I, can, I mean, I had vertigo, couldn't get up. I need some healing now. So, you know, I searched my heart. I said, I don't know there's anything wrong with me. I, as far as I know, everything's right between me and you. Father, I thank you for healing me. and the healing came, so... You know, anyway, uh, it's just part of the curse. If Jesus, here's another question. If Jesus' body was broken for us, why does the Scripture say that not a bone was broken? Well, I mean, come on. The word broken, it wasn't used in a literal way, obviously. And you know, just, just the way we interpret anything we hear is context. So if you read the context where it says Jesus was broken for us, uh, it, it's just simply saying that His life was given in sacrifice for us. And of course, the Scriptures are very clear. Psalm 22, not a bone was broken. It was a prophecy about Jesus dying on the cross. The soldiers didn't have to break His legs the way they broke the legs of the of the other people that were hanging there on the crosses beside Jesus' cross because Jesus had already deceased. So uh, the prophecy that happened 700 years ahead of time or more than that, eight or nine hundred maybe, uh, came to pass that not a bone was broken. But his life was broken in sacrifice. Nothing, didn't mean his bones were broken. So here's another And Having taught the disciples about faith, why did Jesus tell the parable of the nagging widow, Luke 18? So uh, Luke 18, here's, a, here's a, a person who came before an unjust judge, you know, avenge me of my adversary, yada yada. And, uh, and they just kept pestering The unjust judge till he said, okay, whatever you want, do it. Well, God is not an unjust judge. What you got to realize is, and I'm doing a series on prayer on Sunday mornings, is that, you know, there there are hindrances to prayer. In fact, this coming Sunday, there are, I'm going to talk about seven hindrances to prayer. And uh, one of the hindrances, and this is not one I'm talking about on Sunday, maybe this is the eighth, uh, Satan hinders prayer. He tries to keep prayers from being answered. And so we have to continually say, God, here's what you promised. Here's what I need. Thank you for your provision. And we constantly have to stay before God if we want an answer to prayer because the unjust judge, who is Satan, he wants to hinder prayers from being answered. So again, why did Jesus tell the parable of the nagging widow? It's a lesson of persistence. I don't have time tonight Go read your Bible, Luke 18, through 8 and it talks about a person who came before an unjust judge over and over and wore the guy out, finally gave her what she needed. And the idea here is we need to be persistent in our prayer life because like the unjust judge, Satan, he just doesn't let up sometimes. Have you noticed? And it's only what you're persistent about sometimes that you get because you just follow through. Next question. Do I need to let people in here? I've got all kinds of questions. Anybody else got questions? Y'all got any? I mean, i got lots of questions, y'all. Hey, I'm ready. That's a good question. when When you're reading a book or whatever. Um, years ago, I read a book uh, by a man named Gordon MacDonald. I think the book was copyright 1983. I was 20, um, five, six, seven, eight. I was 25 uh, years old when I read the book. And in the book, he said, if you, if you want to do yourself a favor, I'm summarizing, this is of what he said. If you want to do yourself a favor, always take notes when you read books. Now, I'd already been doing that, but then he gave me an idea of how to categorize them. So I came up with categories and at the time I came up with like 30 to 30 categories of, uh, of, of different subjects that, uh, I was, that, that was, were of interest when I was reading healing, salvation, um, uh, uh, blah, blah, spiritual authority, uh, you know, health. Yeah, oh, anyway, 30, I'm drawing a blank right now, but I got, and now I've got like 45 to 50 subjects. And I made little books, and I wrote things on paper. Now I do it all. It's all in the cloud. I do it electronically, and I've got all these all these folders in the cloud. And when I like uh, when I like something in a book, you know, I can either I can either uh, speak into a, something that makes my words print, and then and then upload that. But I've got 45 categories, and I categorize everything, and I just put it up in the categories. I got I've got reading notes up in the cloud. And I've got subjects A to Z, and that's how I, that's how I retrieve things when I preach. So I'm preaching on a subject. Uh, you know, three years ago, I read such and such a book. I go to that subject, click on that, always cite the source, the page number and all that. And it works really well. Does that make sense? So what I do, what I started doing in the 80s, though, when I read a book, I'd have a piece of paper beside me and my pen because, you know, we just had typewriters and hardly any personal computers at the time. And... uh And I would just take notes and write notes from books. I can show you in my office. And I would take notes. And and for each subject, I'd have a separate sheet of paper. And I'd put the author's name and the book name and the page number. And then would write it down. And I'd go back and read those things. And they blessed me. They changed my life. I'll say it that much. Some people read books and they don't even remember what they read. Bad idea. Always remember what you read. Go ahead. This one came in on a text message. Speak up. Um, she said, I don't wear a mask because my doctor told me I shouldn't, that it's bad for my health. My question is, how do I convey love to those who accuse me of not caring about others when I don't wear a mask? So, you know, that's something I've heard recently. If you love people, you'll wear a mask. If you don't love them, then, then you won't wear a mask. So, you know, uh, that's a real personal decision to wear a mask or not. And let me just say, this is a particular subject. That I've read about and there are pros and cons on both sides of it. So here's what I've surmised about mask wearing. If you're in a, a population area of the United States where there's a, a dense um, number of outbreaks of COVID-19, you work in a hospital, you work in an emergency room, you're in the medical profession, or you're caring for people in a nursing home, or you're somewhere where there are COVID-19 patients, you're a wise person to protect others from the things that you're exposed to all the time. And I say that kind of person, certainly wear a mask when you're in public. But if you're out jogging on the Noose River Trail, or riding a bike like I do, it is not necessary to wear a mask. You know, because it's not like the COVID-19 is hanging out in the air everywhere you go, about ready to sick you. You know, the wind's blowing. Now the sun is shining. It's warming up. And all the statistics indicate that those things make it very difficult for this tiny virus to survive. Furthermore, the other things I've read is the general masks people wear, these viruses are so small they go through that fabric very rapidly. Uh, and and it, p- people will tell you, I've got two people. Susan was in the medical profession. I have a daughter that's got a degree in microbiology and all that. And then I'll go to other friends and people that I know who are medical professionals, and they'll tell you that these viruses are... Mu- uh, are so microscopic they can go through anything and, and if you wear a mask for an extended period of time and you're where that stuff is it, it can actually you can actually go through the mask and, and then it helps it go up your nose so you know then you read other things and then there's so many people saying well you need to wear a mask all the time and I see people wearing masks I don't make a big deal out of it if your doctor told you not to wear a mask then you know what don't wear a mask you know, if you're exercising, I I went I rode 20 miles on Monday. Uh, I'm burning a lot of calories. I burnt 1,300 calories. Went for an hour and a half, um, riding fast. I have to breathe hard. I need oxygen. I can't receive the oxygen I need with a mask on, so I don't wear one. And I'm not telling somebody else not to wear one. I'm just telling you what I do. So, you know, I think it's wrong for us to judge uh, judge others because of what they feel comfortable with. How many hear me? So it, it's become so divisive today, it's nuts. So do what you want to do. We're free and we'll be okay. That's my take on that. Anybody got anything else? So, hey. Okay. We got I guess we have to come to a close here pretty soon, but um can you explain Exodus 7 through 11? I don't know. And the significance of it. What is it? You'll you'll have to read it. It's kind of, I don't really know how to explain it. Talking about (laughs) selling your daughter into slavery. And can you just explain how to see Jesus in a verse like that? So tell me what you want me, give me a specific question. I'm asking for like the significance of Exodus 21, 7 through 11. Oh, I didn't hear the Exodus 21. Sorry. I just thought it was Exodus 7 through 11. Say, oh boy. So Exodus 21, 7 through 11, 7 through 11. Okay, so here, here are the laws concerning servants. So here's Exodus 21, and uh, Moses on is on Mount Sinai, and God says, If a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master who betrothed her to himself, then she shall let Uh, Then um, he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has dealt deceitfully with her. And if uh, he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the customs of the daughters. Let me ask you a question. What does that have to do with your spiritual life? Hang on, y'all. He's got to cut the microphone up. Um, My co worker was asking me. He was like, Your co worker was asking you? Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, these are laws. Again, you know, Exodus 21, 22, and, and, you know, the following chapters. You know, God is giving Moses on top of Mount Sinai uh, dietary laws um, and. Prohibitionary laws with respect to varying kinds of relationships to people who have darkened hearts, who are not born again, whose hearts are deceitful, like Jeremiah said, above all things and desperately wicked. So in their social relationships, he's trying to give them a balance of of, of what social etiquette looks like, what fairness looks like in dealing in various levels of human relationship. They allowed slavery in some ways in some of the cultures in in history. you got to understand that. You've got to understand the setting in the Bible of which this was written. What people tend to do when they say, well, what, what, is, what does the Bible mean? And they'll pull a verse out of the Old Testament. You know, they're trying to, you know, throw a wrench in, wrench in your machinery and say that the Bible contradicts itself and God's a mean God. What they're doing is they'll pull a, a scripture out of its setting, out of its cultural setting, you know, out of its out of the setting of which it was written, and try to make it say something that it doesn't. Some of these laws do not apply to us today because our cultures have changed. We're not living in the Middle East, you know. It's it's three thousand years later, and and life is is different. You know, for instance, in the New Testament, you know, it tells. Uh, Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, you know, tell the women to be quiet in the church. Well, the women, I mentioned it uh, a few weeks ago, a woman was uneducated in first century and was not afforded the educational opportunities that men were. And so, and they sat opposite of their husbands in church and they would holler, hey, what's he talking about? What's he talking about when he said that? And so Paul had to say, be quiet in the church later. Now, if you take that same principle meant for first cu- century culture and put it on people today, somebody's going to be mad at you. And you won't ever get married. <laughs> I'm just joking. But you see what I'm saying? You've got to be really careful with this stuff. So, again, the thing in Exodus chapter 21, now that's talking about social customs, seeking to get people to be fair in all of the ways they relate to someone. Does that make sense? So anyway, that's a general way without taking a lot of detailed time. Anybody got something else? You got something brewing? All right. So I've got to close up shop because it's late. Do y'all think I need to stop? No? Well, come on now. Couple of more questions then. Here's a person. Oh, I am. I'm not I'm not far away here. Uh after, here's a question. After Jesus heals, why does He tell the person He healed not to tell anyone about it? And this was in Mark chapter 5, verse 43. A little girl was healed. He said, don't tell anybody. Just go, go your way. Get her something to eat. Yada, yada, yada. Well, several times you'll find in the Gospels that Jesus would tell somebody, don't go tell anybody. You know, go do this or that. Sometimes He would tell a person Go tell, go tell your friends and relatives what I did for you. Sometimes he told them not to. In this particular instance, it could be that the people crowded around him so much and they made such a big deal of the healing miracles that they forgot who he was and what his message was. He said a sinful generation is looking for a sign and a wonder and they are looking for physical manifestations, you know, to, to sensationalize the, the situation around him, he didn't want that to happen. He wanted to remain obscure. Sometimes he and his disciples didn't have room to, didn't have time to eat, or even even a place to sleep because the crowds were around them all the time. So so perhaps for crowd control purposes, Jesus would say that, and other reasons. So you know, and then other times, on the other hand, he would tell him to uh, go tell your friends and neighbors how much the Lord has done for you and has had compassion on you. Let me see. Uh, here's one. Uh, why does Hebrews what does Hebrews twelve mean when it says God disciplines us? How many know God does discipline his people? You know, I have four children, now I have five grandchildren, soon to have seven. But with all of our children, Susan and I disciplined our children uh, because we loved them, because we needed to, to teach them the parameters of life so that they could safely navigate through relationships And through the varying situations that life brings. And so that they would be a person that's in control. And and that didn't get their way all the time. Parents that don't discipline their children. Don't love their children. I just want to see what kind of response I would get in the room. I can't hear you at home. Maybe you're making a face at me. Let me say it again. Parents that don't love their children, refuse to discipline them. If you care about someone, you tell them the truth. And then if they're children and they're yours, you help them apply truth to life. And I could go into great detail on that, but I don't have time. So God, being a wonderful Father, He disciplines us. How does He discipline us? First of all, with his word. And then if we choose not to listen to his word, he will allow the grueling circumstances of life to grab us until we cry out and say, help. Go read Hebrews 12, 5 through 12, and you'll see what I mean. You got something? Go ahead. Um, in Genesis 5, why did the Lord call up Enoch at such a young age compared to others in that day? Well, uh, Enoch had Methuselah at age 65, Uh, and then Enoch lived 300 more years. So Enoch was a young man in his years, uh, in his age, he was 365 when he died. I know people today read the Bible and say that's outlandish, nobody can live that long. Don't forget, we're never supposed to leave these human bodies. God created us to live in perpetuity throughout eternity on earth in a physical body. Let me furthermore say, the reason for the resurrection of the dead, the rapture of the church, and the glorified body that comes at the rapture of the church is because God created human beings to live in physical bodies. And death is an enemy that robs us of our physical body. If Jesus doesn't come back in the rapture, before you get old, you're going to die. And nothing can keep that from happening. But the good news and the promise we have is, we have the promise of the resurrection of the dead. God wants us to live in human bodies for eternity. And so that's the reason for the rapture of the church. We'll have a body when the rapture occurs like Jesus had when he was raised from the dead. A flesh and bone body. So I said all that to say, God never planned for us to die. And when, when, when the curse came and Adam and Eve sinned, and then when the flood of Noah came, scientists believed the big cloud canopy that covered the earth made it a hyperbaric chamber. They believed the O2, the oxygen levels on earth, were much more than they are today. And it, it uh, exacerbated human life. It caused human life to thrive. When Adam sinned, the ultraviolet rays eventually came through. The cloud canopy dissipated. The ultraviolet rays of the sun began to have their effect upon creation. And so the oldest living man, according to the Bible, was Methuselah, who was Enoch's son, and he was 969 years old. Adam was 930 years old when he died. Noah was 600 years old. Uh, when the flood came, somebody said, Well, they were short years. No, they were years like we have. They just lived that long. So, Enoch, um, why did the Lord call up Enoch at such a young age? Now, here's the principle is this um, Enoch was not because God took him, Enoch had his own personal rapture. He was walking with God to the degree that, like Elijah, who was caught up in a whirlwind into heaven, he uh, a chariot of fire into heaven, um, he was caught up into heaven. And uh, you say, "Well, why, why couldn't that happen to me and you? Well, uh, James chapter 4 verse 8 says it very clear. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. It's obvious that Enoch, in way, the way he lived his life, so aggressively sought God and his heart was so pure that God decided to catch him away. Would to God that we all live that way. You got something else? Go ahead. So, in the, um, I guess in, in light of everything going on with the coronavirus today, how does faith work as far as standing in faith for a family member, or somebody who may not be walking in the same faith that you have? How does faith work for someone else? You know, you can always get faith to work for you. You can't always get faith to work for someone else. And I've taught faith a long time here. Um, faith is a very personal thing. Uh, Jesus frequently had to have families leave rooms when sickness, a sick person was there. And he would invite just a few disciples with him when he would minister to a sick person because of the unbelief of the family members. And so when it comes to someone else, sometimes I can get my prayers and my faith to work for someone else. If I can keep them at le- if they don't know anything about God, anything about the Bible, if you can keep them even in neutral, so to speak, and not saying all the negative things and being around all the negative things that produce fear, then sometimes you can get your prayers answered that way. Uh, Sometimes it's very difficult because people are surrounded by doubt, unbelief, and they themselves are full of unbelief. That's the reason that Jesus taught, the disciples taught the book of Acts, they preached And Jesus taught, preached, and then healed people. The teaching and preaching preceded the healing. And so, you know, if a person's in an environment of a lot of doubt and unbelief, it's very difficult to get them raised up to health while they're listening to unbelief constantly. That's the reason it's often necessary to change your environment if you want to change of your health. And with the COVID-19. And the other part that prayer plays is the prayer of intercession. Sometimes the Holy Spirit can come on you. You can take another's place in prayer. It takes a long time to explain that. But God can use you by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can use you to stand in the gap for someone and pray for their healing. And sometimes they can be healed that way. So, you know, I pray for God's mercy on people who are dealing with dealing with sickness and disease and if they're believers i ask god to have mercy on them give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of jesus as healer and if i know them i'll give them information if they can read i'll have them read it i've been to rooms in hospitals i've been with people you know who play the words you know just play scripture you know from a, a recording device that uh, on on topics of healing throughout the bible and uh You know, it's it's a, it's a big topic when you're talking about someone else. I say always pray for others. When I found out someone is sick, I pray for them. And I ask God to have mercy on them. I understand that the effectiveness of my prayer is sometimes determined by the environment a person is in and how much they ingest that environment or resist it. So there's a lot of parameters when you're praying for someone else that you need to be aware of. Does that make sense? It's a big subject. I have a small amount of time. Anybody else? I think we're done, man. It's late. I think it's time to go. Oh, you got something? Go ahead. Overcoming mental health issues. So a question is: been asked: "What are my views about overcoming mental health issues?" Um. Mental health issues are some of the most difficult things, honestly, that people in our culture have to deal with. And let me say that I think our culture as a whole, we have, uh, w- we have done a disservice to people who have mental, emotional challenges. And uh, we don't have the help that they need. Now, let me tell you why I say that. My, my younger brother, he was 11, I was 11 years old when he was born. Three years ago, he committed suicide. Yeah, three years ago, uh, August sixth, August second, and um, uh, that was the ninth time he tried. My younger brother had, had some deep problems. Now his now, now mental slash emotional issues generally come from from uh, a challenging family environment or something in your past that creates an anomaly. Sometimes it's a physical thing that occurs. Um, uh, because of prolonged challenges, prolonged pressure, sometimes it depletes the the chemicals in our brains that make us feel normal and okay. And when those chemicals are depleted, they cause tremendous problems. That happened with my younger brother. Uh, for him, for instance, he chose uh, to he he made some very unwise choices that cost him a lot and and uh, and he got to the point that he wouldn't listen to those in the in the um, mental health world that were trying to help him and he ended up committing suicide so this this particular topic is really close to me um and i i, I love my young brother my, my brother blake but that happened to him and it happened and affected my family my grandfather had mental problems my grandfather died in a mental institution. My grandfather tried to kill my grandmother and my entire family. Including, He never tried to kill my mother, but he tried her siblings. So, you know, I, I kind of understand that world because that happened on my mother's side of the family and then that with my brother. So um, with mental health things, there is help. Uh, there are medications that help, and it's a broad field of endeavor. There are some Christians that say, you never take medications. I say, you're really dumb to say that. If you've dealt with people the way I've dealt with them, sometimes things affect you so deeply that you, that you can't even listen to someone. Now, I've, I've, I've been a pastor uh, since 1988. I've been in ministry since 1981. And I've talked to a lot of people, and I can tell the hard knocks and bruises of life have left them deeply affected and that I need to be really careful in what I say to them and that I need to love them because they feel already feel like they're, they're down and they, they couldn't even conceive of someone asking them to do just one more thing because that would like break them apart. So I as a pastor, I'm careful that I don't put standards on them. I love a person with mental Emotional health issues, I generally speaking, listen to them. I hear where they're coming from. Let them know I love and care for them. Um, I've taken people to doctors, to physicians. I've paid for their medications. I've called them to make sure they took the medications because I knew the medications that they took would help, help restore some of the chemicals that, that were out of balance in their, in their, in their mind and in their in their physical body, and that it would eventually help them. So, uh, you know, I just got a lot of compassion and, uh, and uh, a lot of concern for them. It's a really hard place to be. It's difficult for families to deal with mental and emotional issues because one day a person seems to be OK and the next day they're not. And it's really hard to quantify that. It's different if you got a stomach ache. You know, I had food poison. I got over it in, you know, t- six hours. Uh, but when you got a mental emotional thing, sometimes it lasts for years. That's hard for families to cope with. And it puts tremendous pressure on all of the relationships. And it takes a lot of grace and, and just a lot of compassion. So does that make sense? Does that help? So you know' it's, it's a challenging it's a challenging area of life. Probably every person in this room knows someone who has a mental or emotional challenge. And, you know, if you know somebody like that, pray for them, love them where they are, and just sometimes just be a voice for them, just be an ear for them. Uh, For me, you know, if I don't have time, have a staff member, but just let somebody talk, pray for them, let you know them for them. And relationships have an amazing way. Once you know that somebody loves you, cares about you, regardless of what you do, that goes a long way towards helping a healing process occur. Sometimes, many times, that needs to be with the medical community when you're talking about mental, emotional things. This is a really deep problem, and um, I, I, there are no easy answers, and our culture is doing a very bad, poor, poor job of dealing with people that have mental, emotional issues. That's what I think. So